Good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this Hacking the Red Circle conversation, where we talk to people in the TEDx world you'll want to know better. The show is designed to learn what it takes to produce, organize, promote, and create a world-class event. If you're an experienced organizer, you'll get some great tips. Veteran organizers share lessons they've learned so that first-timers can avoid common missteps. There are hundreds of amazing people in the TEDx universe, and we talk to a lot of them. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. We produce Hacking the Red Circle every week. You'll want to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I I am excited. Um, Normally, I get to talk to people all over the world, and ironically, I'm talking to someone in my hometown here of Santa Barbara, California. I'd like you to meet Jacqueline Oliveira. Jacqueline, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here, too, Mark. And the reason that you're on the show is, as our listener knows, I love to talk to other people involved in TEDx, in that ecosystem. And you were a speaker at TEDx Cesena with Maurizio, Mm -hmm. who uh, our listener will have already listened to Maurizio. So this Mm -hmm. would be great. I thought it would be uh, an interesting conversation for our organizers to talk about what it was like being a speaker and, and maybe start with, um, I just love to uh, hear how you got involved with Ted, not necessarily with Maurizio, but you know, what did you okay. know about Ted before he got in touch with you? Oh my goodness. I, I would like to say that I knew quite a bit about Ted. I am a consultant and I am also an instructor. I teach at the Monterey Institute of International Studies. I teach at Antioch University, Santa Barbara. Oh. And it's a TED, TED Talks are a brilliant, brilliant learning device. Yes. So students, students use them, and I have clips of them in participant um, venues. So I'm, I'm familiar with TED, very familiar with TED. And Do you remember TEDx. your first TED Talk? The one that I watched? Yeah. The first one, yes, I do. It's uh, Susan. Well, it's not my first one, but the one that is the most evocative sure, for me sure, sure. is um, Susan Cain's oh, TED yes. Talk oh, yes. about um, uh, what is it called? It um, the, the power of introverts. And and it was in her talk that she gave me permission to identify, self-identify as an ambivert. Yes. Right? Which yes. people yes, who did. know she me would, would say, Mark, you're an extrovert. And I go, no. I, I mean, uh-huh. I am. I know how to turn that mm-hmm. on. But I'd love mm-hmm. to be in my little home here and be quiet. And uh, and so she talked about being an ambivert. And Linda mm-hmm. of Linda.com, also uh, here in Santa Barbara, uh-huh. brought Susan to speak at Linda.com. And then we had a lovely private dinner afterwards. So bring it full full circle. Um, And then so how, tell me how Maurizio knew about you and how how did that connection make happen? Well, Maurizio Berti is um, Italian. And as all good Italians, (laughs) I was, I'm friends with his, a friend of his, which meant that it's our our relationship, our friendship spread to everybody who knew Fulvia, and now I'm oh, friends with it. Maurizio. Got and it. then um, Maurizio 
decided that he was going to embark or, or expand his professional experiences by um, becoming part of the TEDx family. Right, and right. he decided to create this. The, the, it was their flagship um, event in Chisena. Right, right. And the title of it was Cotre, Cotre y Confini, which is Beyond Boundaries. Right. And right. so he knows that what I do is cross-cultural communication and culture can be a boundary. So he he asked me if I was interested. He didn't invite me right away, but he asked me if I was interested. And so your reputation preceded you at that point, and he thought it this did. would be good. Um, and so well, tell me what that phone call was like. It was a t- it was a. a, t- a email. Okay. And he said, Jackie, would you be interested in being a TEDx speaker? And it was doing anything with TED was a dream. It's like, you mm, know, getting the Nobel mm. Prize or, and when, when I looked at that, I thought, oh, this must be a joke. And, and it wasn't. And uh, I took it seriously. And, and it, I needed to go through a vetting process. And which oh, so it I wasn't was an automatic, it wasn't an automatic no. thing. No. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that's uh, that's a challenge and for he, us he organizers. Was clear about it. Yeah, ah. it was, so we get so so to get on our stage. I run TEDx Santa Barbara, but and this is similar to a lot of them. It's you know people get recommended to us, or we think there will be someone good. But as we're curators and organizers, but a lot of times we recuse ourselves from the first pick, you know, so yes. that there's a, a committee. So you you did that. And we did, and that's an important thing that he did. He let me know up front that this isn't a promise. This is a, this is an engagement in a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get my hopes up immediately because he was so articulate and diplomatic. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that's that's a challenge for us, especially with friends and friends of friends and and um, all of that. I I met with someone yesterday. Uh, downtown at the French Press that we've talked about. And he, in talking to him, I was talking about how he could connect me with someone else. And through the conversation, I went, hold it. I want to get that other person, and I want you on my stage too. Because that story you just told me was spectacular. And he had no, he has no interest or desire. It's not on his bucket list to be on the TED stage. So he's, Mm. as organizers, frequently will find these reluctant speakers. You know, it's if it's the person who comes to you and says, I have to get on the TED stage because I have a book and I've got a launch and I've got a, that's the person who's not going to get on the stage, right? It's really, oh yeah, yeah. Mm. It's because the agenda is to get the idea out into the world. That's, you know, we, yes. that's what's so important. So tell me, what is the idea that you launched out into the world at, in Chisena? The idea that I launched is about how to build, how to build and the importance of building trust across cultures. Mm. I've been doing this work for 22 years. I've seen too, way too many examples of People from specific cultures acting in ways that are trustworthy, that they were rewarded for growing up in their Mm. country of origin, coming to a global team and behaving in in that specific way and being shot down or marginalized or even reprimanded for behaving in the way that was completely natural to them. Mm. And then that infects productivity and creativity and morale. So um, 
that was my idea worth spreading. And, and Maurizio knew about that because he knew that that's the type of work that I did. And you, this work that you do, because now you've got me interested, I'm really interested in talent management and organizational development, and I work with big companies in that, but I'm kind of from the software side, not from the psychology side. Do you work with big companies in this, in organizational yes, development, that kind of thing? Primarily, I work with big companies. Wow, companies I- that have international international sites inter- or right. or even domestic companies that go hmm you know we have customers from around the world right. coming into right. our stores right so they want to know how to how to connect and how to service people from around the world i work with one company where they introduced me to this term and i think you'll in you'll enjoy this word they call it boundary spanning mm-hmm and that's so you're yeah. like, yep, that's the word. It was new to me. It was like, oh, boundary spending. Okay, that's important, mm-hmm. which is, sounds like cross-cultural communication. But it is. It, so as, uh, as an American going to Italy and participating yes. in that, what, what – well, so that was your first TEDx experience, but you'd watch talks. Yes, you've been did. teaching the talks. What was unique about that for you? What do you remember as being oh, – this is – this is interesting. You know, it it wasn't unique for me because I, I work with multicultural groups all the time mm. in my work. But I'm really glad that you brought this up because it's going to be unique for for people who are going to go up on the stage if they're right. not familiar right. cross-culturally. Right. So I, I um, you were very clear about you didn't want me to prepare too much, but I prepared <laughs> a little bit. Um, I... Um, it is okay because the the primary language of the audience was Italian, oh, yes. and I came in speaking English. Right. So, as brilliant as the Cesena team was, they'd already planned for that because it was it not only was this uh, this event simulcast, it was real time translation, which oh, meant the people. Yes, yes, we oh. had a booth in the back. Wow. We had translators in the back. It was like the United Nations. How fun! And so people in the audience were wearing um, were wearing headphones. Wow! And it's it's kind of like having a conversation with somebody in your car there on your Bluetooth. And so you know how it is. <laughs> a you know, you're latency. supposed to be paying yes. attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you're listening, and yeah. and so it's it is it is something. I think that's important for an organizer, which which the Chisena team did. They they prepared us. You know, this is going to be because there were a few oh, of us who were speaking in um, English. Yeah. Um. I I do have a suggestion, if I might um, please share it. Um, the suggestion would be to not only prepare your speaker, but prepare them for specific things. For example, um, an American speaker will look for a certain body language from oh. the audience. They'll look for the smile. American audiences tend to be kind of athletic, you know, smiling and laughing. And um, uh. Uh, not all international audiences are like that. And plus, you have the added advantage slash disadvantage of an audience, most of whom are wearing earphones. Right. So they're having to focus on these two different things. So then I, I listened to one of your interviewees, Scott Mann. Yes. Who spoke about leaning in. 
Right. He said something, I'm articulating it, not exactly the way he said it, but he looks, he said, look for the lean in. Yes. And I absolutely concur with that because that's cross-cultural, that's international. People will lean in. Oh. If, if, you, if somebody is going to organize an event in Japan and have a, a, a Canadian or an American or a Mexican speaker go, they're going to look for certain certain cues mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. will not be in that audience mm-hmm. and that might throw the speaker off. So I think, of course, but this is my wheelhouse too. So I'll, I'll admit that to you. I was just going to say you're, you are, you, you so, speak often. And so that, um, the, it's not a, we like to say exhale only. It's a conversation. Mm-hmm. The audience mm-hmm. is, it's a conversation. It's an energetic conversation with them. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes. Um, another, I think, important cross-cultural point. This didn't happen with me, but a friend of mine, uh, also a colleague of mine, who did a TEDx talk. She's Canadian, and she did a TEDx talk. I think it was in Rhodes. Um, and it's it's normal for people to show up late, late mm-hmm. in mm. you know in quotes. You know what's late for them is not late for is late not late for us. And so to have people walking in and walking out during her presentation, you typically wouldn't find that in the United States, and it could be misinterpreted. Mm. I think hers even started after midnight, and um, so timing is a very important aspect. um, So I would recommend to organizers to to expand their prep for their um, speakers to include the nonverbal, uh, not, not the, the international component also. What other, um, I, I, just, I just did a show on my other podcast with someone who has Asperger's and we were talking about how they read cues. And it's, so that's kind of in my mind, you know, there's, there's mm-hmm. the word, there's the tone of voice, there's yes. the uh, body language. And he said yes. as an Aspie, uh, tone of voice has no bearing for him, and mm-hmm. uh, the physicality doesn't mean any. They just they just don't compute those two. So it's just they're processing the words. So I'm I'm thinking yes. when I talk to him, I have to think about my audience. So what you're suggesting is you know I want to think about the audience, but as someone is going in this cross cultural deal, because I know in the TEDx world. We, we swap speakers a lot, which is kind of fun. If someone's like really good, oh. uh, you know, at TEDx Fargo, they might get invited. Uh, TEDx Salinas, the organizer, is in Europe right now for the summer, speaking uh-huh. at a couple of TEDs. So wow. what besides the leaning in, what other um, kind of maybe nonverbal cues or things like that could we be looking for in the audience as a speaker? Nonverbal slash verbal, even though you're um, Aspie, I've never heard that term before. That's what um, they call themselves. Aspies, that's yeah. very interesting. Um, what I would like to say is internationally, cross-culturally, a genuine voice comes through. Mm. This kind of goes back to Susan Cain mm. for me, mm-hmm. because mm. I am both an ambivert and an introvert, and... Um, there are, and she spoke primarily about the U.S. American culture, where you know you're a cowboy and you walk in right. and you take control, right. and right. and people with with soft sort of body language as I have um, are sometimes marginalized initially if you're just looking at the the body language, and so this is this isn't really a suggestion for organizers, but it is a suggestion for um, speakers which is 
trust your own voice. Oh. Trust your own body language. I tend to be very kind of ethereal. I have a, a soft voice. And I'm just not – I'm not apologizing for it anymore. And that comes through. who you through. are. Yeah. <laughs> it is. But, but right. that genuineness – comes yes, through. Yes, yes. So I'd say move move the way that's natural for you. Use use um, inflections that are natural for you. Just be careful of the words that you're using. And if you're speaking to an international audience, I would say enunciate. Mm. And don't mm. turn your face. Don't turn your back from the audience. Uh, it, because they're still looking for your lips. Oh. Now, see, I've not heard... I mean, I'm just thinking of my theater training. We don't turn our back in the audience, right? But so that that's even doubly important where we've got uh, English as a second language. Yes. Oh, got it. That's fascinating. Did you um, have your talk completely written out and did you have to send that to your la- audience? She's <laughs> laughing right now. Uh, did you have to send that to the organizer so that the um, translation crew had a, a rough idea of where you were going? Yes. Yes, I did. Um, I'm, I, there wasn't a have to in there, but it was just a natural thing for me to do. Mm-hmm. That's another thing that the, the Chizena team did that was so brilliant. They were very organized themselves. Um, and I submitted my transcript to Maurizio and we Skyped and we practiced and he helped me with the Mm -hmm, flow. mm -hmm, He mm -hmm. helped me with, in fact, there was one component in, in my, my, my talk is about, um, trust across cultures and there is a whole series of small vignette cultural Mm. vignettes Mm. of what competence and integrity and caring look like in different cultures. And I, I didn't mention Italy. And I purposely didn't mention Italy because I didn't want to cause offense. And so Maurizio is listening to it and he said, where's Italy in that? And I said, no, 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 you know, I don't want to cause offense. You had a strategy. He was so smart because he said, they're going to be listening for it and they're going to feel offended. And he was right. I know he was right. And there's an Italian concept, Bella Figura, which I know that... Any Italian would be able to relate to. Mm. So um, I added that. And so not only did I submit my transcript multiple multiple times because it's just how I am, but he was very helpful, as was other members of the team, too. So, yes, there was a transcript. And another thing that I would suggest to the organizers that are listening to this is um, assistance with the title. The title of the speech, and I would even say dovetail, dovetail, dovetail the title with the theme of the event. So our theme was Beyond Boundaries. Right. And um, one of the speakers made specific mention of that in her speech. Yes. And she went on before me, and I thought, I should have done that because... We're there for many reasons, one of which is there's the theme, and we're looking at the the idea we're spreading in the different expertises of the different audience members. But um, I didn't put very much thought into the title. I put a lot of thought into the content, and I didn't think about life beyond TEDx. What does that I mean? Didn't, what does that mean? What I mean is... I've gotten so many emails 
and so many um, texts and communiques from people who have watched my TEDx talk, but it they just happened upon it. My title right. didn't perfectly reflect my content. There was no word in my title about cross-culture. So even though they helped you, it mm-hmm. still oh, yes. didn't didn't really resonate. Is that what I'm hearing? Or it didn't correctly what you, identify? What you're hearing is um, ask the, the team to provide more help with mm. coming up with an engaging title. Mm. So there's That's a... It. Um, I'll give you a little uh, inside baseball, as it were. And for those of you outside of America, inside baseball means we're going to give you some tips uh, that we've learned through um, the Hangouts, TEDx has Hangouts for organizers. And they had the video crew on there. And one of the things that they reserve the right to do is change the title of the talk once it goes onto YouTube to improve the SEO and, let's say, findability of the talk. Mm-hmm. So they don't do it often, but they'll, they will do that. So just, it's just interesting. So organizers know that. It is interesting. That. Okay, and, and Maurizio knows that. Yeah, he oh, said, he knows I can that. change it for you. Yes. And so, yeah. but I'd, instead of having to go through the rigmarole to have somebody say, is that engaging enough? Mm-hmm, you know, does mm-hmm, this have, just mm-hmm. to talk to have talked to me through that. I don't ever want to be um, critical of the way he ran this. He was so brilliant, <laughs> but it was just something more that Jackie. Sure, needed. sure, sure. We um, th- there's uh, and, and there's also if you're a speaker and you're listening or an organizer and listening, there is a difference between the core idea, which you want to state succinctly as as Jacqueline did, and the title. So that's important because Mm -hmm. the title is that thing that is, again, it's that magnet. It's the attractor uh, Mm -hmm. to it. So that's important. It's it's a very uh, good um, instinct that you had on that. How many coaching sessions did you have? That's another excellent topic. Um, I had, in, in terms of bona fide coaching, I only had maybe two. Okay. I wish I'd had more. Mm-hmm. Um, um, TEDx Chizena did offer a, a coach on site, and I could have done things with her on Skype. And I thought, this is important I th- to me. I thought, um, I don't need to do that. I'm so familiar with <sighs> speaking to people. And, and it, it, that, that, I don't That's mean to border on arrogance. It was no, no, just like, I oh, I know what I'm doing. Sure. But I know how to interact with an audience because I, I, I like to in, involve the audience. This was the first time in my life I'd ever been on a stage, which is a totally different uh, experience than interacting in a big group, sure, a big sure. ballroom. So um, I wished I'd had... I'd opted. It was offered there. I wish I'd taken advantage of the offer to have had more coaches. And it just so happened that the Chizena coach knew a lot about cross-cultural oh. presentations. And that was particularly good. So um, I didn't have – I only had about two coaching sessions, but I I practice in front of groups more than you can imagine. Oh, I – Friends, I, I live strangers. with a speaker coach who speaks oh. – so Kimberly uh, does her Road to the Red Circle event, and there, there, there's just so much. Di- there's so many differences to that 18-minute high-stakes talk, and I, I'm curious 
Um, I have another question that just hit me was, did you read Chris Anderson, Chris Anderson's Ted talks book in preparation? I didn't read the book, but there was a video. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there is a video. Yes. So you watched yes. The and video. I, I absolutely did that. It was very helpful. That's another thing that the team did is they gave me resources ahead mm, of time. Mm. And so I took advantage of them all, and they were very helpful. I'm on my second reading of the book, and this morning was I was reading about, um, I don't know if the subject of vulnerability came up, but the thing that's a little different about a TED Talk is that you're, one of the TED commandments is be vulnerable. And mm. one of the ways of being vulnerable is that um, currently, public speaking, we stand behind a big podium, which blocks us from the audience. And we've got our laptop, we have our notes, we have our everything, as opposed to standing in the red circle with no notes, no podium. We're open, we're vulnerable, right? We're surrounded sometimes on three sides by an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you absolutely feel that. Mm-hmm. As you were in in the run-up and and you had good support and i'm sure any questions you had they instantly answered and they were good about all of that um i on my show you've listened you know i like uh to understand who the dragon is like you don't have a story unless there's conflict so in this story what what was the conflict what was the dragon the dragon was not even fire breathing but (laughs) (laughs) but he was in my mind um i didn't want to have a glitch and i had a glitch i had a powerpoint um just a few slides Mm -hmm. and uh there was a a glitch in the powerpoint had i not practiced so insanely i i had it down to muscle memory right so I just jumped right into, you know, and the next slide would have said, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't say it exactly like that. But I didn't freeze or say, oh, shoot, what's wrong with you guys? I just was able to go on before it. But yes, the flow. And so the dragon was the dreaded glitch in the PowerPoint, which did happen. And it was a millisecond, but it happened enough that could have thrown Mm. me off had Mm. I not been so prepared. So other than that... There were no true dragons in my experience. One of the things that we talk a lot about is um, rehearsal rituals. And we, we actually think about them as rituals, that thing we do every day. And, and I, I didn't prep you for this, but did you have a rehearsal ritual? Yes, I did. I did. Um, I'm a... I'm a devotee of deep breathing. Okay. And so my just my everyday ritual sure. is to breathe deeply. And um, I mentioned before we, we came on the air, I mentioned that I swim every night. And I memorized that blue line at the bottom of that pool for and and I swim for an hour every night and I was and the, the ritual was Every third stroke, every third this, you're going to be here. You're going to be here. When you get to the the ladder, you're going to be at this point in that speech. And um, so I was able to, to, to really have a dance, a verbal dance sure, that sure, I danced sure. up there. And uh, the other ritual that I believe in is visualization. Mm-hmm. 
So I I had never been to the venue before, so I couldn't go there and be on stage, but I could picture what it looked Mm -hmm. like, and I Mm -hmm. could picture what my body was going to feel like Mm -hmm. at different places along the way, Mm -hmm. and um, that's very, very helpful for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is uh, spectacularly helpful. Anytime we step onto any stage, the way we phrase it is – what are can you and it's more than visualization because it's a full body feeling what do you feel what do you want to feel like when you finish yes and that's very nice picture yourself feeling that way yeah and then full body feel that and it's you know, when you live with a speaker coach, you get this stuff all the time. So it's like, <laughs> you know, she'll, you know, when I go to just, what are you going to feel like when you're done with that meeting? It's like, oh, what but a you know what? Question. It it's perfect because it is perfect. It it gets you in state, right? Which is mm-hmm. what you need to be. I I love your um, the swimming though, using the laps as a meter mm-hmm. to get your timing mm-hmm. down. I mm-hmm. talked to another speaker, Ted from. Uh, Ironically, his name was Ted from TEDx Fargo. <laughs> he went on specifically went on twelve minute walks, and okay, yes. I'm going to do a twelve minute walk, and that's what I'm going to do. Um, mm-hmm. So, you, talk to me more about post talk because I know that speakers and organizers alike are interested in it's the talk isn't the end, the talk is the beginning. Right, exactly. it's the launch of this idea. Our job as organizers is to um, conspire amongst ourselves to create a perfect environment so that when you walk on the stage, you're prepared in every way that that means. The audience is prepared to receive in every way that that means. We do yes. as excellent a job in capturing that talk from a technical and a production point of view, so that the look. The aesthetic is is beautiful. And then, boom, the real audience is online, right? Because that's where we're going to go out right. and change lives. Right. How much did you think, because you said earlier you hadn't really thought about that, but now that that's happened, would it have helped you to think about that? Or how are you reacting? It's kind of two questions. I think that you're, I, I didn't think about it, and I wish I had. Because um, my audience is not solely business anymore. Of course, kids, e- students uh, are are uh. you know oh gosh you know I, I heard about this. Um, this is how I feel. So I I am a subject subject matter expert in intercultural communications, but that SME that expands mm-hmm. bigger mm-hmm. because it's it's. It's published on the internet. Um, and um, I've heard that many entities, many, but some entities are using my talk as a teaching tool. And so so it's it's getting out there right. more than just from my lips. My, my reputation has spread in a way that I I didn't think about it. That's and a nice I, surprise, I isn't I it? Had. It, it's a lovely surprise, but you know it's interesting also, Mark, because now as a result of TEDx, right? I'm a lot more, even more careful about what comes out of my mouth. <laughs> I, I, 
Yay. I represent, you know, something that's literal, whereas representing something that's more ethereal, like a word. So, um, you know, I'm very proud to be mm. part of this family. Mm. And I would, I would encourage um, definitely speakers, but even um, um, f- organizers to speak about that. You know, you've, we believe in you. We believe that you have an idea worth spreading. And so you've just, you're going to be joining a very important family. And um, it's a kind of an emotional thing for me. Mm. Have, uh, you know, we, we follow our, I feel like they're part of our family. Each person who's been on the stage here in Santa Barbara, we're going into our fifth year. And there are now, well, thank you. Many of them have gone on to professional careers as speakers, um, writing books, getting opportunities and offers. And again, it's towards, and and we talked to them, it's not about you, it's about your idea, right? And yes. that idea <laughs> is the thing that's important. You're the, you're the messenger and that, you know, that's great, but we, we always want to think about that idea. But I tell you... Just last week, I heard that one of our speakers in August, she her, her talk said that, that kind of the count, which is a measure, right? You go to YouTube and how many people have seen this thing, right? And some some people obsess about that. And, and uh, on six weeks ago, her count doubled in four days. It went wow. from like some big number to double that number and Good was growing at about a thousand a day. And what we don't know is what happened. But the feeling, the palpable feeling that she had that people were getting her message was profound. Like she was, that's what was most exciting to her. She says more people are learning this thing that she was teaching. Yes. Yes, it's it's so true. That's happened with me too. I've had many emails, communications from people saying, "I had no idea I've been teaching my treating my team like this. I had no idea that I was sending these messages, and I was sending messages of what I thought were openness and trust, and how I was turning off my team, turning off leadership, turning off." customers and clients and vendors so it's it expanded it expanded in a way that i didn't think about Mm. and and i am so happy would you had you thought about it would you have done thing anything differently in terms of my presentation yeah would i have said it differently no there's so there so I'm, i'm just curious what the impact would have been had you go, oh, hold it, you know, like hundreds of thousands of people are going to listen to this and it's going to change lives. And would that have maybe added undue pressure, actually? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, I would have so gotten was, more yeah. nervous. Because it just, it just, what what happened is it went beyond global teams in large companies. It right. went, it went to, oh, my, my mother-in-law is from germany now i'm understanding my relationship better oh and that hadn't really that's one of those boundary spanning things right so you're you're in the corporate world versus the interpersonal and the people that are listening 
we're never sure how they're going to take this and and they've taken it in a lovely direction there was a my first real uh cross-cultural communication challenge was in 1986 and we bought a we merged with a company that had a huge presence in japan and we were going over to meet clients and vendors and all of that and we didn't we had heard but we didn't know and i found a book at the time that was great and i'm wondering if he, if you have heard of it it was called sit kneel or bow how to do business in a hundred countries it wasn't called kiss bow or shake hands <laughs> was it called sit kneel or bow i don't know i think that it was one. yeah it was it was, it was that, that. so sense. so some because you didn't know what that's you were supposed to do and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah that's lovely that's yeah. wonderful and so that's what because you teach right well, part of yes, it. It, it, that's, that's part of it, because right. that's typically what people think about when they think about cross-cultural communications. Right. But it's also, you know, how do, how do you deal with power? How do you deal mm. with risk? How do you deal with future orientation, present orientation, egalitarian, uh, um, gender egalitarianism? And how does all of this weigh into the product or the service that you're trying to get out there? And so I help people with building processes and and um, protocols that will work in their cross-cultural team it feels like you take it to like a ninja level of skill because those were all that those nuanced kinds of things so when someone shows up and they're the one you talked about with power that's very interesting that most people at as you're finding hadn't really considered so your talk is actually helping quite a few people that could happen with an a future organizer Right. Who is working with a speaker who comes from maybe a more collective culture, a more harmonious culture. If that's if that organizer is expecting somebody to say, I have this question, I think you're wrong about this, I'm gonna do that. If you're dealing with somebody from a more harmony oriented culture, they might nod their head and say yes oh. when they're oh. not getting it. Oh. They're not getting your message. Right. And they're sending you their message in a nonverbal cue that you that you haven't been trained to perceive and mm. and translate. So it's so the cross cultural piece is good for your your organizers to understand when they're talking to somebody from a different culture how to get your message across. This might be getting into way too much detail. No, not at all. And I'll tell you why not. Oh no, no, no. Our there are. I mean, I've already had. Uh, several conversations with organizers that um, they work in university towns, right? So there's a TEDx is very big in those types of towns. I'm thinking Norway, I'm thinking Helsinki, I'm thinking two others, Aarhus. And the volunteers that are, you know, it's all volunteer organization come from countries all over the world because they're there to go to school. So you've okay. got it. You've got a mic. This microcosm that you're talking about right you there do. You in do. the yes. team, and so it's not whether they use local speakers or not. They they've mm -hmm. got a more immediate challenge, which is this. So I'm I'm for sure, which I always do when we do these speakers. I'll I will actually embed your talk onto this page so that organizers can watch that as well, because that'll be important. Because I think it's especially for the ones that are, tends to be more European, where they, and around these university towns, where they, they've, and the challenge for them is there's, it's a transient population. 
so they can't mm -hmm. build uh, team coherence over time because mm -hmm. people are going to change, mm -hmm. cycle in mm -hmm. and out. So for them to become masters at these communication skills are just wow. going to help them produce a better event. Very interesting. Yes, that's you're absolutely right. So now I this has become required listening. See, so so you, you were just thinking, well, fortune. I'm a Fortune 500 person, and then there's all these other applications, yeah. which is um, which I think, I'm so happy about. Right, I'm proud. Right, yeah. Jacqueline, this has been a fantastic conversation. One it of the has. one one of the things, though, I want to end on is the show's called "Hacking the Red Circle." So um, I'm always looking for a hack. I kind of feel like you're swimming every night, and your hack of your memorization <laughs> hack was good. But let's see if you can't think of is there maybe a hack that would for speakers on something that you did you felt really it was like an easy thing didn't cost you anything but it really helped your success can you give me an example from the um other well interview? i think the things you've said i mean deep breathing is a good one just breathe deep but when you're okay so when you're on stage you're on stage and you're you had that little glitch what was mm -hmm. it about your how you dealt with that is it because you had worked so hard on the memorization because you would I, I like to think of it you had woven that talk into the fabric of your dna mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. yeah truly truly it was muscle memory so um the hack is practice 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 and then i think your your interviewee scott mann said to multiply that times 10 he's absolutely right it's um it's your voice. And so the only other thing that I would say in addition in the, to that, since trust is what I do, trust yourself. Hmm. You are you are up there and I I trusted I trusted myself. And um, it's a good place to be in life is when you start to trust yourself. That's a skill that helps you every day in your life mm -hmm. when you trust yourself. I'm an improver here in Santa Barbara. You should come see us sometime, Santa Barbara Improv. And Thank that, you. That, that trusting and not knowing. And, I mean, you yeah. never knew. You'd not done a TEDx talk. And it's like, mm -hmm. I'm just going to trust. I'm as prepared as I can be. My, everything has, like I said, conspired for me to be here on this moment, on this day to give this talk to this audience captured and then there it goes. Let's see where that idea flies. And it sounds like yours is, has taken wings. It hasn't, but then I didn't know about your improv experience. So I would end on this then for me is work with an improv coach. <sighs> I would, I had, I'm so used to having an energetic interaction, literal Yep. Ask questions of the yep. audience. Yep. I did not know how to be on a stage. I did not know what those lights were going to be like. It's so bizarre to look out in your audience yes. and only see the front row. Right. It right. was disconcerting. If I'd had an improv coach, yep. that would have been very helpful. We do our Road to the Red Circle workshops once a year here in Santa Barbara and people fly in from all over the world who, whether they're giving a, a TEDx talk or they're giving another high stakes talk and they, or they've been, whatever that is, they want to master the short form. And we have performance coaching. We do a two hour and we have our improv teacher come over and we talk about that. 
And he distinctly talks about this. When it's just you up there, how is it improv? It's the audience is the other person in that conversation. And energetically, you're riffing off them when they're leaning in that's giving you their yes anding your idea and you're building on that energetically and the laughing and the all of those things all help make it and they don't know they're they're uh, uh, a participant in this but you do Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. perfect thank you i do too thank you thank you so much thank you mark uh, it was divine i hope to run into you some somewhere uh, here Let's in our do. very small town of Santa Barbara. And listener, thank you so much. We'll have all of these notes in the show notes, and we'll have a link to um, your talk at TEDx Chisena. Again, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Hacking the Red Circle. Have an idea for a guest for the show? Or would you like to tell us your TEDx story? Just drop me a note in an email to mark at hackingtheredcircle.com. Please be sure to rate, write, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Makes a huge difference. And share the show with your team as we seek to grow our audience around the world. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for Hacking the Red Circle.